Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 192. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute something to every issue of Freaky, so please check it out. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video games, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I'm currently working on articles about Nightmare, the Galloping Ghost, and the Harvey Comics superheroes for Back Issue and Alter Ego, respectively. My Mad Book is being proofread, and my second Disney book is almost done, and I am currently working on TV cartoons that time forgot. Be sure to buy my latest books, the TTV Scrapbook, and the Pac-Man book. On today's show, we have a returning guest who is here to talk about the reunion album he has produced for the 60s group, The Circle, best known for Red Rubber Ball. Here he is, Dan Costin. 
Hi, this is Mark Arnold with yet another Fun Ideas podcast. And today we have a returning guest who's talked to us many times about people such as the Left Bank, the Beach Boys, the Circle, and other groups. And he will talk about them and more today again today is Dan Costin. How are you? Hey, Mark. Good to see you again. Glad to be back. Good. Well, uh, a lot of things have been happening uh, with all the various groups I mentioned and more, um, because I think, was it about six months to a year since you've been on mm-hmm. here? So, um, February or March, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it's always good to have an update about what projects you're working on, um, what's going on. Seems like people are going out touring again, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I don't know where you want to start. I guess we could start with the circle because. Um, uh, they do have a new album pending, or is it released yet? It will be out officially. We're telling everybody next, uh, actually November 18th, okay. which is when we'll start shipping the record out to okay. folks. And I'm encouraging people to go to our Etsy page now, which you can you can link on my Facebook page or the Circle's Facebook page. And uh, you can buy the record now. And uh, from there, the uh, we'll be releasing more links in the days to come but yes it's the first studio album from the circle in 55 years and features a <laughs> wow and uh features original singer guitarist don daneman along with longtime keyboardist mike loskamp and we have several new songs from don and mike and uh band uh and manager and band member pat mclaughlin and we got a lot of surprises on this record so uh, mm-hmm. this has been this has been a three-year process for me to put this record together from uh, talking to them in summer 2019, going, hey, here's a crazy idea. And uh, <laughs> here we are. And fortunately, you uh, forwarded me an advanced copy so I could be knowledgeable about the songs. And, you know, of course, they do some uh, remakes of their some of their original hits, but that's good, too. Uh, but of the new songs that they did, you know, some of really incredibly well constructed well-produced songs i mean unfortunately in today's market the way that these things work they just kind of come and go it's you know mm-hmm. another reunion album but i mean if it was any other time this would have been a hit album i think so thank you thank you for saying that i'm really proud of this record you know we put this together in a studio we used the studio in johnstown ohio don did a lot of his work in delaware uh, where he's based out of and then I did some work here and you know mixing back and forth and uh, it's a very it's a remarkably cohesive full circle album that was the thing and I and the, the point I put to them was this can doesn't have to feel like exactly like the 60s records but can can feel like a continuation of yeah. the feel and the vibe and I, I think we I think we did that and I don't know if you have the artwork in front of you. You sent it to me digitally, and I don't have the ability to put it up. But you made it kind of look like the other Columbia albums, even though it's not an official Columbia Records release. So, yes, um, yeah. uh, my friend Sean Lynch, who is a longtime friend of mine and musician, several bands here in the North Carolina area, said, "Can I go full on Columbia '60s in this?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, please yeah. go for it," and uh, he did it. I mean, everybody who's seen it says, oh, my God, this feels like a Columbia album, which yeah. is exactly what I wanted. I wanted you to feel like and you saw, oh, that's the circle. That's that's a that's a real album. And then I should mention, too, that we will be doing a vinyl run of this oh, album okay. uh, next year. So, cool. yeah, we're bringing the vinyl, baby. Okay. So uh, <laughs> uh, and it looks great. We have additional we'll have additional liner notes in the in the vinyl release. And uh, it's yeah, I was saying. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
what label is it officially? What, what it's not we're Carbiotis. really not putting an official name to it. It's being released through the circle. Okay, um, so I approached several like labels, their own label, I guess. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. It's really officially through the circle.com or the circle's mm-hmm. Facebook page, or you can go to my um. Uh, website danielcoston.com and find the links will be the band will be putting up more links soon and uh, the album should be available digitally soon as well okay. and uh, we approached several labels and they all said well this really kind of doesn't it's like it, i kind of bucked the trend without even trying and that <laughs> the labels you would think would um want this album said they all said we love this record but it's a new record we yeah. really only uh, cater to archival releases. Hmm. And while that, that's a little frustrating, it's not surprising. Even um, with uh, three remake tracks, you know, the Red Rubber Ball and correct. the other two. What were the other two? The Visit? Oh, it's and... a Turn Down Day and The Visit. Yeah. And um, the story behind those songs were we were approached by a division of Universal in early 2020 to say can you do new versions of your hits and we said well we're not going to reinvent the wheel the songs are really good on their own but let's do something that feels right and i think we did that and then the original intention was to have a fully complete original album but it really felt like it was part of the story and then don uh, brought a song to us called we were there which is a song about the circle in the 60s and then i then we are also through we can discuss that soon is the song we thought we could fly which is the song of him and tom dawes with tom dawes's backing tracks mm-hmm. and at that point i realized that side two i call it side two the record really is the story of the circle it's we were there mm-hmm. the opener to their 66 set which is turn down day red rubber ball which is the almost closer to that tour and yeah. then we thought we could fly which is literally you get the story of the circle in four songs and that point it's like okay we can have these songs on this record it works mm-hmm. very cool um one other thing i was going to say about the artwork also is you, know, you carried it over even going to as far as putting the people's faces in the letters like on the back of neon the second album so yes and that yeah. was actually my idea um cool. i I've, I've dabbled in in uh uh, designs, which always scares my designer friends. Um, <laughs> but I, I tend, I'm very basic in Photoshop, but it was just like, I always looked at the back cover of Neon and said, you know what, that's it. And again, it's continuing the, the thoughts and the feelings into a modern setting. And, yeah. uh, you know, with the in- involvement of Don Daw- Tom Dawes on two songs, and then we also got their last producer in 67, Charlie Colello, to mix a new song for this album it's like yeah this is mm-hmm. this is the this is the circle from then to now now we'll probably circle back to this but i do have one last question is there enough uh, uh tra- i i read there's enough uh tracks in the can or at least some to uh, do a second album yes we've okay. recorded about 20 songs okay. and don has more that he wants me to hear so i'm uh, i'm i'm anxious yeah. to to see what comes of this and um so one of the songs we also did for this album was um i brought my friend andrew sandoval who's the monkeys archivist and longtime manager to send me a song that he did with tom dawes in 2003 mm-hmm. kind of tom dawes a bass player vocalist of the circle passed away in 07 i believe mm-hmm. and um i was able to put that together with don so we have you know and then Don used that track for We Thought We Could Fly. So um, it's uh, really is continuing on, you know, the story. But um, I think Don would like to do more, not just new songs, but also songs that we find in the archives. I mean, much like what the Monkees did with Good Times. 
So um, I think they're, they're, we're we're well on the way, but we need to uh, let this let, release this record out to the world first. Right. And um, you mentioned Tom Dawes, and then I think you told me separately uh, that there was a, an album of Tom Dawes, either demos or outtakes or something that Andrew Sandoval was also involved with. Tell me a little yes. bit about that one. So Yeah, it just came out. It's called Elusive, uh, the Tom Dawes Jingle Workshop. It is a series of recordings that he made as a commercial jingle writer producer from 1968 to 1973. And uh, Andrew uh, curated it and put it together. He was friends with Tom. And he's also put a separate CD out of uh, Tom's wife, Ginny Ripperton, um, out. And both you can find through Modern Harmonic, which is a division of Sundays. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend it. On the CD, all the songs, it's like 54 songs. They all run together as like <laughs> one track. So it is like a it's like a late 60s kaleidoscope of sounds from uh, Tom's head to yours. And some of them were used as jingles. And some of them, was uh, there was a one for a G.I. Joe um that's uh has to be heard to to be believed i think you can hear it online um but yeah it's i mean we're I, that was the cd i was really happy to tell don about and say hey by the way you've never heard this this is about to come out <laughs> so um i know i think don's been enjoying that i actually would love to see andrew put together a collection of don's recordings because sure, um, yeah. both you know tom famously created plop plop fizz fizz yeah. and a lot of famous and Don himself created a lot of uh, jingles and things for other projects. The first time I actually ever heard Don's music, and I don't know if he knows this, was when he was part of the Great Space Coaster, which was a TV show. Oh, yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> I I have a uh, Great Space Coaster uh, Space Coaster record here. someday I will I will get you to sign that, Don. You're you're warned now. Did he sing on that or just compose on that? I have composed and okay. produced. He's okay. one of the producers. So, but I realized later on, I was like, oh, you know, I obviously I've heard Reverend. Rob ball and turned out day my whole life but i was like oh right i was listening to don's music as a kid and i didn't even know it well so. even the commercials i mean uh i mean this is uh tom's but uh, you mentioned the alka seltzer one is that one on this album it is not oh <laughs> i know well you know you, you can, but there is the uncola song um oh. which is the song that i believe uh, tom wrote and the band performed and they were very nicely given at each given check for $10,000 after they won that contest. Cause it was a national contest mm -hmm. that they won. At which point Tom and Don said, Hey, we're jingle writers <laughs> and uh, went on to successful careers on their own. Yeah. Although I think of memory serves years ago when they did the TV theme songs albums, I think they stuck that Alka Seltzer one on there. So yeah. 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 So if you're looking for that, yeah. that's where it is anyway, yes, or it's probably it on YouTube there. as well. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Um, so anything else uh, left over from Tom at this point, or is that pretty much it for his? As much as we we know of, I know some recordings that Tom made in the 70s. Now, whether or not I can get um, multi-tracks of them is another matter, but it's I always have hope. It's much like the Left Bank Project. I yep. know that there's more out there. It's just Good. a matter of me finding it or finding the right people to have it or are willing to have yeah. me hear it. So, so is somebody uh, sitting on it, you know, like in the case of like the monkeys, you know, Chip Douglas had some stuff he was sitting on. Uh, it wasn't like he was hiding it. He just didn't have it accessible, you know, and finally dug it out. You know, well, like, like with, with uh, Andrew's case with the Tom Dossie, these are mostly from uh, CDRs that Tom made for Andrew. 
in the early oh, okay. 2000s. So sometimes you find somebody who um, was given a copy from the artist and they happen to hold on to their CD. I should mention actually that the 0102 tracks uh, that are on the Left Bank Strangers on a Train CD that I co-produced, those came from CDs that was given to me by a collector in England hmm. uh, who'd gotten them from Michael Brown. And I never admitted that I had them and they were here in my desk for 20 years. And then <laughs> now, now you can listen to them on YouTube. So there you go. Um, I just out of curiosity, I mean, you, you, I assume you keep in casual contact with Sandoval every so often. Um, has, has he heard any of these circle tracks or anything that you've been working he's, on? What he's he really, he's really excited about it. I'm going to send him a link to the full album, but I've kept him updated not only on, uh, we thought we could fly, but he can fly. No, he's, I think he's very, he's not told me specifically, but from what things he said online, he's really excited that he's now basically written and produced a circle song. Mm. Um, and uh, if, if Andrew's happy, I'm very happy. Yeah. And I'll give a plug, a shout out for his uh, podcast, which is called Welcome to the Sunshine. He's had the Circle and the Left Bank and many groups from the 60s on there. It's a great uh, podcast if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. There's well over 100 episodes and uh, they cover pretty much obscure kind of psychedelia. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll have, say, the Four Seasons, but it won't be you know, Sherry and big boy, big girls don't cry. Generation imitation life is that, which is exactly never heard. You really should hear at least once. So, so I mean, you know, it's a good way to test market for yourself if you want to see, yeah, your favorite person like another one is Ricky Nelson going dabble into psychedelia. It's like, ah, let me listen to Andrew's podcast and see what that's like. You know, or um, the one he did on Anthony Imperials back when they were just the Imperials and they were sort of like an R&B left bank yeah. for two albums. It's really amazing. Um, yeah. I will mention the left bank episode, which I think is episode number 25 of Come to the Sunshine. Mm -hmm. If you make sure you listen to that all the way through at the end, because the closing song is a song that Steve Martin Caro did uh, in 1969 and I, I never realized that Andrew kind of let that slip out there. And that is the only known source for that recording. Uh, oh. So when you find it, come back and, and talk to me and I'll tell you the history behind it. I literally, when I was, I was compiling songs for the Left Bank CD, I was going back listening to that show and that came on. I literally fell off this chair. I was just <laughs> like, oh my God, this recording does exist. So uh, yeah, uh -huh. I always tell if you love this music, keep digging. It's, yeah. it's, there's more out there. Yeah, I have an aside about that, but it's just funny um, that with his show, a lot of um, psychedelic songs are like made by one hit wonder groups. So you go, who did that? You know, like at least Circle and Left Bank are like known enough that, oh, yeah, I can go seek out records by them. But I mean, some of these are really obscure. I can't name any names off the top of my head. But when I was actively listening to his podcast, I was writing down. Ooh, that's a cool song. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I'd go onto eBay or whatever and order vinyl singles of these old records. And it's like some of them are really hard to find and expensive, but most of them are not. You know, they're just kind of there sitting there, buck or two. It's yours, you know. It's like okay, you know, or you could just listen to them on YouTube. I like to have the vinyl, but that's just me. There's something <laughs> real. We were discussing vinyl before we started talking. We we're comparing our, our uh, single copies of uh, the Circle, oh, yeah. and uh, there's something real about you know here it is and this is how it was originally presented 
Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't even mind. I'll show it. Uh, this is my red rubber ball. It's kind of rough because obviously it's a first shop copy. So see the Columbia sleeves a little bit torn up, but the record itself is not in bad shape. No, that's not bad at all. You know, and I, it plays it. It's, it's, you know, yeah, I know you can get digital copies. I know you can do that, you know, but it's fun having the vinyl and just, you know. <laughs> yeah. That, that initial, the, when it hits the vinyl, it's just like, be nice. Oh, I'd love to have a jukebox that I could just put like, uh, forty fives from the sixties and seventies or something like that. You know, I, I did. My house is full, <laughs> it's very full. So I think my wife is, is like, "Really, you're bringing this home too?" Great. <laughs> so that's why you know. So I recommend, like I said, I recommend Andrew's show. Not plug for him. Let's go on to talk about something else. Okay, but it is something to tie it all together. Uh, Andrew Sandoval is probably the one producing the Mickey Dolan's tour, which you said you're involved with as well. So yes, he is. Talk about that. Well, uh, Mickey is going out in April, 2023, and they are spotlighting the headquarters album, which actually is my favorite monkeys album. Mm -hmm. And he's going out with the monkeys touring band. And, um, if any of us who've got, who were lucky to see monkey, uh, see Mickey in this last year, um, no, he's still got it. He's carrying, obviously he's singing for everybody now. And, uh, it's a really nice continuation of the work that Andrew and the monkeys and Mickey d have been doing since the, the reunion started in 2011. So, uh, um, please go and see this show and, you know, this music lives forever. So enjoy it. Now you mentioned Fab Fest. Is that where you saw him or actually or... I'm one of the that Fab Fest is a Beatles festival that we do right. here in Charlotte every year. Fabfestcharlotte.org. Thank you for asking. <laughs> and um I am one of the organizers of that. And uh about a year ago, the director said, Do you know how to get in touch with Mickey Dolans? And I said, like, uh yeah, because I did a lot of the photos for the monkeys tours since 2012, and uh, we were able to get Mickey here. And uh, the director said, Well, I'm busy, so you interview Mickey. And I will <laughs> tell you that was wonderfully uh, beautiful and uh, surreal. Um, you know, I only talked to Mickey a few on a few occasions. I generally don't bother him because he's busy getting ready for show and I'm taking pictures. And he, we were about to walk on stage together and he walks up and he goes, oh, hey, man, and fist bumps me. He recognized me on site. I'm thinking the 12-year-old of me is just dying at this moment with the light. Circus boy! I'm of the generation that, you know, we saw those monkeys marathons at MTV in the right. 80s and went, oh, what's this? And um, and I, people still love, and I still love the show, but for me, from there, I got into the records. For me, what carries the monkey stories, those songs, those recordings, yeah. those records are so good. They are one of the, the most diverse and deepest catalogs of American music in the 1960s yeah. or any American band for that matter. And um, I, I, that's, it's, for me, it's an enduring love. It's, it's, uh, I love, I've been lucky to photograph these tours the last 11, 12 years because it's my way of continuing the conversation that started with me discovering these records mm -hmm. in the 80s. Now, I've uh, not delved into this deeper other than knowing about it, but maybe you have. If you haven't, that's fine. We'll just move on. But yeah, your your favorite album, Headquarters, is coming out with yet another super expando deluxo boxo setto. And yeah. uh, it says on the Rhino press release, there's 69 unreleased tracks on it. it. I mean, do you know anything about any or all of those or what that? I really, I have not heard that much. It's a, a conversation I love to have with Andrew. I know that there's more they found. Obviously, Andrew's still doing a lot of digging. 
Okay. Uh, I know that there's more that they have found from uh, in between when they did the last box set to now. Yeah. So I think you may get more more things we haven't heard. You may get more sections of things we haven't heard. Okay. I know one of the things that was missing was the multi-track mixes or having the original multi-tracks. I think more. I don't think all of them have been found, but I think more have been found. Okay. So um, yeah. Any completely new tracks to your knowledge, or that's the stuff I'm always interested in. I would like to see a track listing, to be honest. I, yeah. I've heard that there's okay. More I haven't seen one, and I was wondering if you had, so you had not. I have not yet. Uh, uh, Andrew's on a uh, a very lengthy list of people I need to email, yeah. uh, and that is one of my questions. Like, so track list, what's up mm -hmm. with that? And um, I think we'll we'll all know together. But my understanding is they have been finding more. I mean, Chip had some things. I know right. Mickey saws a lot of things that he he's been. I actually one thing that uh, Andrew said recently online was he's working with Mickey on a project. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the things we hear from the monkeys and in, in either this release or future releases is things that have been in Mickey's archives. Mm -hmm. So along with this tour, I know that it's something a larger coming from Mickey himself mm -hmm. in terms of his archives and history. So uh, this is going to be interesting. Well, I'm going to reveal something here now, but it's no, there's no timeline on it. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, my co-author on my uh, Two Monkeys books, Michael Ventrella, and I have contemplated mm -hmm. doing an update on the first book. Now, originally, the update was, well, it doesn't look like there'll be any more new Monkeys releases in the foreseeable future. So we will be adding Christmas Party to the original book and updating it, and that'll be done. Well, I started doing that, and I realized, oh, since we did that original book, the more of the monkeys deluxo box set came out, and so I had to add that information, update it too. And then while we were just about ready to say, okay, that looks pretty good, maybe we could turn this in for an update, then this headquarters thing comes along, and so I said, stop the presses, we can't do it. So, because I need to know what these 69 tracks are. I mean, if they're like, Ten different versions of Zilch and other tracks off the same out, out the headquarters album as well. That's that's one thing. But if there are any brand new spanking new tracks that just somehow got misfiled, mislabeled in somebody's personal archive, you know, it's like that's the stuff that is arguably still monkeys, especially if more than one is performing on it. So, you know, what I'm interested to see is whether how much of it is band or members of the bands demoing in the studio you know the original headquarters sessions i believe was about six weeks so yeah. that obviously and while they were filming the show which is kind of amazing in retrospect yeah. um but i also be interested i know that there's a number of demos out there for songs that the beatles con I'm sorry the beatles the monkeys contemplated or uh i think the beatles have a box set out now too uh, we can talk to about that yeah let's talk about that in a minute but there you yeah go yeah, on, yeah. Go um but i i think so we'll be interested to see you may not only hear monkey stuff, you may hear demos that they did or other people did for the monkeys. And that when I actually give a more complete picture of how they put that album together. So yeah. I'm, I'm anxious to hear that. Yeah. I might actually invest in it because my problem with the headquarters as is all the versions they put out is it just seems like, okay, now I got the two disc version. Then suddenly there's a four disc version. Suddenly there's the Rhino handmade version. So, you know, it's like, is there any sort of definitive version of all these sessions? Because this seems like the one uh, album that they really tried to be a band. I'm not talking about just mm -hmm. us because just us, even though they were just the four of them, 
they kind of dashed it off in a very quick amount of time and didn't have any outside producers, which I think they should have. Um, mm -hmm. And a little more help on that one. And, you know, it wasn't in, in, it, it was just out of left field. It wasn't like part of the, you know, natural progression of what the monkeys were doing at the time, going from Kirshner produced albums or whatever to their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. With Chip Douglas. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm curious what this box that tells us. And, uh, I also think maybe if you, if our listeners are, you know, watchers haven't checked out my, Andrew's book on the monkeys, I think, uh, a lot of the information in this box that will, you know, basically the book will be a companion. I'd hold it up, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to hernia. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if you need, need an additional pillar for your house, yes. you know, if, if one, you know, that 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 book can can keep your house sturdy for decades. So, yeah. I, I I have two books that are like I got in the last year, and they're very heavy. That's one of them, and the other one is I don't know if you're an EC Comics fan. You know, they produce Tales from the Crypt, Mad, of course, and things like that. But Grant Geisman, musician, is also a huge EC fan did a giant Tashin volume that's like 200 oh, wow. bucks and the book is like you know it's bigger it dwarfs andrew's book so it's like wow. what am i going to do with all this stuff but it has both books have tons of information so it's not like you could just say eh, picture book tossed you know it's like yeah <laughs> I, I wrote andrew after that book came i said man you didn't just create a coffee table book you created a coffee table yes so. <laughs> i was gonna say that once you started um so uh we kind of uh i didn't write this down but yeah you mentioned uh beatles so yes of course you know that uh giles martin is continuing on producing remastered remixed versions of mm -hmm. every beatles album he's done now revolver the new one through the end of the run and i assume uh at some point i know he'll probably do rubber soul next and mm -hmm. at some point try to tackle the other albums some way somehow but um revolver so What's your opinion? Have you heard the new box set? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> I, I have that. I mean, I'm obviously re the re Revolver Rubber Soul area may be my favorite period of the Beatles. And I've always felt those albums got short shrift. It's mm -hmm. sort of like, oh, Pepper, you know, oh, I mean, you know, the first Beatles album I heard was Abbey Road. So, yes, I'm always going to be an Abbey Road fan. But there's something about that's the point where the story really changed from the Beatles as they were in 64 to the Beatles that we love as these shape-shifting giants of, of, of creative forces. And it really happened, particularly on Revolver. Yeah. And while we can definitely debate the mixes and what's better, I, I, I had and I had a little bit of this issue on the White Album box in that the, the, some of the mixes were just slightly different enough for the mixes I grew up on to this day that if I'm listening to them in the car, it still doesn't quite little things like at the end of Helter Skelter don't sound right to me. But <laughs> it means that somebody out there is going to fall in love with this record the way that we fell in love with it either in the sixties or with the, the first CD remasters that came out in the late eighties. Yeah. But also, along with that, we get to hear alternate takes and other things that we either thought we'd never hear or didn't know existed. Um, the demo that turned up of John and Paul seeing Yellow Submarine together. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. And it also um, brings a whole other potential stories like, wait, Paul would come over and they would record demos at John's house. Yeah. I mean, we know Paul has a lot of demos that we 
have never heard and hopefully someday we will hear but this can potentially bring a whole other aspect of future releases like oh okay they're willing to start letting us hear demos now yeah this is this is a whole new possibility of of ooh this is this is real creative cool stuff the the process that we're hearing now that was the biggest revelation to me because i think most of the other stuff uh was stuff that i'd either heard on bootlegs or in the anthology or something mm-hmm. over the years and yellow submarine was always tied oh that's that kitty record that paul dreamed up and that's the story you kept hearing and then i read many times oh well paul didn't write it john did and then people would poo poo john wouldn't have written such a stupid song as this and then you know this demo proves it now he wasn't writing you know we all live in real submarine i mean the the original lyric was you know uh in the town where i was born no one cares no one cares and it's like wow it totally changes the tone totally changes the meaning of what's going on you know to evolve from that to ringo's kitty song as it were you know i don't consider it a kitty song but a lot of people treat it that way um i just consider it another piece of psychedelic psychedelia just like red rubber ball it's like red rubber ball yellow submarine hey you know colors you know Um, you know it's you know you know mod colors it's hip it's happening but then you start you know you hear this initial demo from john and then the second demo with john and paul and you hear this is how they put the song together this is how the song evolved into what we know but there's there's much more behind it yeah and i guess that i'm speculating here so it's probably like the situation with the monkeys and their demos hidden for years people forget about it you know Mm -hmm. it never happened because i forgot about it basically you know and now oh yeah here it is you know (laughs) well i think i think the estates have had these songs all along but whether or not they want to a acknowledge them or let people hear them is another matter i mean how do we know about the white album demos because at some point somebody burgled george's house and got a certain amount of safety copies out which were then bootlegged same with john um paul seems to have never had his demos at least in the 60s uh swiped or um you know there's you know most of what we heard is, is like 70s 80s um so but it's also i think it's not just paul and ringo saying yes we can release this i think it's also now you have to remember that the john estate is now run by sean lennon and ah. sean is more welcoming to have us hear these works in process yeah. uh not just for the beatles but also john's solo records which you know i should mention the sometime in new york city box that just came out too so i think this is all not only just a change in willingness to have us hear more but also the estates having us be willing to hear more wait a minute okay that did actually come out there is a sometime in new york city box yes. okay yes. Oh, okay you heard it that was... all yes. right is it officially out by now i mean i believe or, it uh... is out by now okay yes. what is on that then i mean is it just the album or is there the live there's concert yeah. and... there's okay. live there's okay. um, kind of it's it's as sprawling <laughs> as that record is it's kind of imagined to hear it more far flung but apparently it is so okay. and that is an interesting you can say that's kind of a go-between record between imagine and, and john leaving england behind to this kind of okay let's let it all happen and hang out in new york to the the records he started to make in la before he just you know, took time off so it's to me sometime in new york city has always been like a go-between but it's yeah. an interesting go-between yeah i mean i don't hate that album i i but i always thought 
it, they're never gonna, you know, there's certain albums you just say they're never gonna do a box set on that. But maybe if you're saying Sean's in charge, yes, I is. mean, at this point, all of Lennon's solo albums are worthy of a box set, especially <laughs> uh, since there aren't going to be any more new albums. You know, you might as well make a good presentation. It's just like doing the Beatles. I mean, do we need a yes. please, please me box set? Uh, the average person probably would it wouldn't be their first choice you know mm-hmm. even if they had a ton of outtakes but in the grand scheme of things you're not going to get any more major beat releases unless they start releasing every concert and stuff like that so you might as well make deluxe editions of everything that they did do especially in their lifetime mm-hmm. so you know mm-hmm. even sometime in new york city drops the n-word and <laughs> even if it's has yoko's singing on it if some people don't call it singing i i have no problem with her but you know mm-hmm. uh you know or you know even the third and fourth sides which is there's some real screaming on it, you know, with some of yeah. that Zappa material, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's like, is it worthy? Well, maybe not in 1972, but at this point, yeah. considering how everything's changed, you know, yeah, it's, it's worthy of appraisal just as much as Imagine or John Lennon Plastico in a band, I would think. So. And we're still, you know, I think for all those, you go, oh, this is okay. But then you find some things like, wait, this is really good. In some ways, this is better than what was released um as we're discussing they're about to uh release the box set for the beach boys 1972 era which covers mm-hmm. carl the passions and uh, uh holland yeah. and the, the the dentist stuff alone from yeah. that era that they've been releasing is astounding and this has been sitting in the vaults for 50 years so yeah. if it means that there's something out there that is going to make people go oh my god what is this i either need to go buy this or i have to deep de- i have to deep digger into this artist archive right so be it, you know yeah and that was one i had you didn't tell me to talk about this one but it's like i know we've talked beach boys so um you know it's coming out in about a month i guess maybe yes. by yes. by the time this airs it'll probably be out but uh sail on sailor it's similar to the what was the last one called i forgot uh, oh um darn i really like it, that it's yeah. sun, sunflower it's surfs up one the, that was yeah. the previous one. i forgot the current title sorry we can look it up but um anyway uh is this one just as deluxe it just has as yes. many yeah and it's now it seems like it's a little bit heavier on live music which is not a problem because this period of uh, beach boys is my favorite 67 to 73 yeah. and also they were incredible live then i wish i would have seen them live then same you know same. <laughs> i mean especially with, with uh, blondie and ricky and yeah. uh part of this box set features the band's complete recording at carnegie hall in 1972 which they apparently recorded on a 16 track yeah. which was really state-of-the-art back then and you really get to hear the whole band doing their thing and mm-hmm. uh well, one or two tracks have already been released online and they sound fantastic. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's like people have certain expectations. Oh, the Beach Boys, they're they're this, they're that, or even the hardcore fans say, Oh, well, I really like this or that. Well, I don't, you know, they kind of got a little sideways. Then you hear these box sets and you go, Oh, wait, there's way way more here than I knew. Yeah. And uh the 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 the, the, the joy and the fun for those of us who are involved in this music is i don't want it to be i don't ever want it to end you can't know everything you you know there's still more out there that right we're gonna find and um yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited about this and also just it keeps rewriting the beach boys beach boys story which you know can 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 use some revising from time to time if only yeah. for pe- just changing people's expectations yeah 
and it has changed mine because of mm-hmm. my my initial impression of 67 to 7 well the initial one is the one most people say oh after brian uh collapsed and uh, d- uh smile collapsed uh that was the end of the beach boys there's nothing else to say you know it's like well yeah. <laughs> yes there is you know well but people are always surprised <laughs> when i say like i love pet sounds and i love sunflower and yeah. they're like, oh, what's Sunflower? Yeah. You should go listen to Sunflower. <laughs> you know, yeah. you should go listen to Holland. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, go ahead and, and let your ears tell you something otherwise. Right. And and so when I started listening to these albums, I started collecting them on vinyl originally, uh, probably late 70s. That's when I started getting into them. And I had this uh, book called The Rolling Stone Guide to Rock and Roll or something like that. And it had chart positions. And it would list like Sunflower charting at like 150 or something like that. And yeah. I go... I don't get it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know, what was going on back then that people turned their backs so hard on the Beach Boys that they put out a really good album that they couldn't give it a listen, you know. It's like, yeah. wow, you know. And at first I would just go by the charts positions. I was just like, oh, 151, it must not be very good. And then you pull it out and listen to it and go, this is great. What's going on? You know, and people mm-hmm. compared that album to the uh, Beach Boys version of Sgt. Pepper, as it were, you know, it's like a mature album that's yeah. well-produced and everything like that. And it is, you know, it's like, so I don't know what I'm driving at. I'm just saying those are things that I've learned over the years, you know, with all this. Well, all the bands that we were discussing, the circle, the left bank, they had an initial rush of a hit or a few hits and then they continue to make really good albums, but for whatever reason, they weren't getting on the radio and people mm-hmm. just figured, well, they just not be, may not, it must not be as good as the earlier hits were. You know, the yeah. circle definitely dealt with that with neon and the mink soundtrack, the left bank. It's, I will tell people for me, left bank two is a better album, than, uh, more cohesive than the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's, you have to get past the initial expectations that we've heard or read either in books or online and just discover this music. Just, yeah. just go, go and discover it for yourself. And then another thing on this box set is, again, and you might know more details than this, another demo for the song Sail on Sailor itself. You know, I'd have always wanted to hear Brian Wilson sing a studio version mm-hmm. of that song at the time. I mean, it, he could easily record one now, but, you know, his voice isn't the same as it was in 1972. So, you know, I, you know, where did that one come about, do you, to your knowledge? My understanding was obviously Brian was one of the co-writers and they basically threw that song open in the studio and said, okay, who wants to have a go? I, my understanding is that Brian had a go at it. I believe Carl had a go at it. Hmm. And then they finally said, okay, Blondie, you take it. And they went, okay, that. Right. And so it means that there's versions of Brian singing it. And you know, that song had been passed around. It was a Tandon Almers, one of the co-writers. Yeah. Van Dyke Parks had a go at it. So there's there's multiple versions of that song out there in various stages. So I'm anxious to hear what's on the box and, and hear the genesis of that song to what we've known for the last 50 years. Yeah. And I know on that particular one, because I have seen the track listing, the only way, place to get that demo with Brian Wilson is on the big box set. If you get the two disc version, they didn't put it on there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they're just they're 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 just teasing us. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, on the on the previous collection, which for some reason we can't remember the sunflower surf's up collection uh most of the unreleased tracks i felt they either put on the two disc version or they've been released on other compilation albums like hawthorne boulevard or whatever uh you know so i didn't think there was very little that necessitated having getting the big set other than 
it's all in one spot. So yeah, um, I but did this enjoy. One, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm anxious to hear the, the for me like the little bits. The best thing of the box set was like that live version of Su- Susie Cincinnati, which yeah. uh, the Beach Boys did with Chicago. You know, yeah. and like seven, I think it was actually '76, but. Um, yeah, it's like hearing that live. It's like, oh man, wasn't yeah. this, why wasn't this a staple of every show? So uh, yeah. Right. So now this sale on Sailor, I'm probably gonna go for the big one. I'll still get the small one. It's fun, you know. Like even on Revolver, I'll get the big Deluxo set, but I always yeah. get the two disc version too because I always like, well, let's see what they considered highlights, you know. And it was fun for the two disc version for Abbey Road and Sergeant Pepper because they'd have alternate takes of every track in the same playing order. So it was like a wonky sergeant pepper a wonky yeah. abbey road you know i kind of like that you know instead well, of having tw- 12 versions of andrew Berg can sing in a row or something like that you know so going back to um one of the things on the revolver box that i really was thrilled to hear finally hear a clean copy of was the original speed that they recorded rain oh yeah that's breakneck that's just astounding and but okay we're gonna record it at this speed and then we're gonna slow it down you know in in in, on on tape it's just like oh my god that's that's amazing yeah i wanted to say something more about revolver it's just for me being a fan for so long i think it's only about now i'm finally gotten accustomed to having dr robert uh, i'm only sleeping and andrew bird can sing as part of revolver because (laughs) for the longest time they always seemed out of place even though that's where they're supposed to be you know because because in in, a capital put them as part of yesterday and today and actually mixes on those on yesterday are different than what's on well eventually came out england on revolver because they had to rush mix those to get them on the capital release right so uh, yeah to this day even that's i mean not just that they're on the record but even the mixes sound a little different yeah, because yeah. I grew up with that original capital. And that might be why I didn't even think about that. That might be why it's like they don't fit. They don't fit, you know, and they're <laughs> supposed to be there. <laughs> you know, it doesn't fit on yesterday and today. That's really what it's supposed to be. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I've I gotten used to it over there, you know. But uh, you know, I get it, you know. <laughs> well, you know, uh, as Americans, we did grow up even uh, uh, at my age. I grew up with the um, American releases, you know, and mm-hmm. there I came to a realization a couple of years ago that the the rubber soul version that Brian Wilson fell in love with was the American version of rubber yeah. soul, which is actually help and rubber souls, which allowed it to sound more folky, uh, folky slash country. And so it was like, when Brian just, you know, always, Oh my God, I love rubber soul. He fell in love with the American version. Yeah. That's, and I, and I, a, I hate yeah. to say when Giles Martin does tackle rubber soul, they're not going to put, I've just seen a face or it's only love. They're going to leave that for a help set or something else. Yeah, and, uh, but the set will have a day tripper and we can work it out on it at least. So it's kind of, that kind of makes amends a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. so, and I get it, you know, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. The Brian Wilson, uh, the version Brian Wilson heard was the more folky one. That mm-hmm. album always is the, when it starts off with drive my car, it's like, why is this here? This is the wrong song. It's not supposed to be this hard rock and beep beep. Yeah, it's supposed to be a folky album. That was supposed yeah. to be what we were listening to, and that's what Capital in America made. You know, I've been um, the, the, my uh, friend. Only my friends will uh, enjoy this, but I've been threatening to do a Dave Dexter ver- uh, mix of uh, the Circle album. Just throw the coal mine open and just let it go wide, and just you know. Like, <laughs> Bathe it all in reverb, so uh, it, it could happen. 
<laughs> that should become terminology. Can you Dave Dexterize that for me, yeah, please? Can you, can, you, can you Dave Dexterize this? So, uh, yeah. I will say this. Uh, let me ask you this. I'll, I'll say mine first because what is your favorite Dave Dexter version of a Beatles song that you grew up with? And then when you stirred the real version, you know, huh, for me, it's She's a Woman. I love the yeah. Dave Dexter versions all. Bam, bam, you know, yeah. it's all with a heavy echo, you know. Yeah. And then when I heard the real one, I was like, hey, this isn't very good. Yeah, it sounds a little like <laughs> <laughs> that or uh, She Loves You. Because yeah. you know, okay. that initial drums, it's just like, whoa, this is like them in a stadium. It just has that. Yeah. You know, huge reverb sound. So yes, uh, okay. yes. So when I did my compilation, I did a compilation, uh, and I advise you to do it if you want to. It's okay. nowadays people say, "Well, I got Spotify, I got this, I can just put everything on it." Yeah, I know. But the challenge is put all your favorite Beatles songs, any version you like, but you can only whatever fits on a single CD. So. And I think I've got a 20 track version, but I did put the Dave Dexter version of She's a Woman because yeah. it had to be that version, well, not the others. So, and that was the version that we fell in love with as kids, you yeah. know. And, and this love of this music we're discussing is the, the continuation of that love that we discovered as kids. So, it, yeah. you know, it is what it is. And I feel bad sometimes, you know, they, I, I think, uh, what's his name, King, uh, RL king is that the, the guy who runs beetle fan magazine um oh, yeah. he, 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 he in his latest issue talks about you know people talking about like this revolver thing yeah there's purists out there that don't like anything remastered or remixed from the 60s and it's like well you know there's something to be said about that but i mean a lot of times they had to do it, it wasn't just dave dexterizing it it was mainly due to the limitations of a vinyl mm -hmm. record especially at that time you could only put like maybe 20 minutes of information per side max you know back then and you know now you can get maybe 30 uh but still it's heavily compressed and different than the expansiveness of a cd or dvd or blu-ray or something mm -hmm. else you know or so. you know the example like the left the first left bank record is really mixed for am radio so it's very low end and very muddy and andrew's mixes that he did for the first uh, left bank collection 19 that he did in 1994 to, to me those are the left bank mixes because you finally got to hear the beauty of songs as opposed to everything just kind of sound like sounding like it was underwater on that first album yeah i i like it when i discover things and so this is why i'm not uh adverse to the remixes or anything like that sometimes they choose to bring up something uh, mm -hmm. in the the mix that wasn't brought up originally or if it was i just never noticed it yeah. um the one that comes to mind because i just listened to it was the mono version of tax man uh if you want to hear the proverbial more cowbell it's there yeah. so you hear a heavy duty donk 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 which on the stereo version is not so much is is yeah, not so got, prominent you know i got separated out in stereo but in mono it's definitely there and you have to remember that originally yeah. the beatles thought mono was the definitive version yeah. to those songs and stereo was just what the, the engineers cut together a day or two later so it is interesting how we we view view is what is definitive now now, I've kind of followed some of these documentaries of Giles Martin, but um, you probably, as a producer yourself, would kind of know a little bit more. I'm just a novice at stuff like this. Um, obviously, we had, let's just go for CD mixes. So, obviously, mm -hmm. we had the 1987 mixes, which essentially, with some exceptions, was vinyl to, <laughs> vinyl to CD. And that was pretty much what we had for like 20 years. And then finally, in 2009, 
they finally got a clue that, oh, we should remaster these, especially since everybody else, including the Rolling Stones and Yoko Ono and everybody else has been remastered. Maybe we should remaster the Beatles after all this time. So, yeah, that's um, especially yeah. on the later albums, meaning from like Rubber Soul Revolver to the re- to the end. I mean, overall, is Giles Martin really improving much on the 2009 mixes or is he just kind of just dabbling around just saying, hey, you know, oh, I'd rather boost this than this, you know, like the cowbell instead of the tambourine or whatever. Um, I think what, what's your take been- on it? I think he, being, of course, who he is, the son of George Martin, I think he's a good steward for that. Um, a lot of these projects do come together when these get, okay, it's mixed by this guy. And you may disagree with his mixes, but he is the guy that the label and Apple and the Beatles say, okay, he's the one who's going to see this word. So he's a good leader for this. I you might, say, you know, it's hard for me to say that he's made the mixes better, hmm. but I, from, uh, I think that is, that is open debate. And um, as Hank Jr. once said, it all depends on who you're drinking with. Um, but um, if it means that we get to hear little things and we get to hear a more co- complete collection, like we're hearing these box sets, so be it. Part of why we haven't heard this sooner um, from someone like the Beatles is A, they didn't want to touch it. And B, George Martin didn't want to be the one to go back and redo everything. And yeah. uh, it's sort of like how did um get back to come together because someone like peter jackson said i want to tackle this and these projects do come together when somebody's willing who has the gravitas and has the name power to say okay i'm going to do this but i'm going to try to do it right so um you know these projects whether it's everybody needs somebody who can say, okay, I'm going to take this ball and run with it. And people respect him to do with that. I mean, the reason why I don't think we heard a lot of other things like this with the Beatles before, because there wasn't that person and, and the, the surviving Beatles and their estates could not agree on that person. Hmm. So, um, you know, we, obviously we can debate what Peter has, you know, obviously what Peter did with get back is a revelation because there was so much that we didn't know existed that now we know it did and it fills in a whole lot much clearer picture but at the same time these things are happening because someone like giles is in the place to do that and he has the beatles and their estates behind them so uh you kind of have to take it take it one hand with the other is but but at least they are happening they are they they do exist now which in the long run is better yeah um going back to beach boys i mean it's obvious the beatles one i'm sure the inevitable next one is rubber soul so i can't see him just jumping to please please me and going the thing you know, but, uh, and especially you know they really do need a, a year or two to promote and that's that's what capital yeah. apple wants so yeah. uh i think it's going to be rubber soul okay. i'm going to be um this is going to be a pure pipe dream but i would love to see them pair please please me please me with a cleaned up version of the star club i mean mm-hmm. wouldn't you love to hear the beatles live in 1962 december 1962 and then you hear him in the studio within six weeks a few yeah. a couple of months i mean that would be the, re- the most clear picture of where the beatles were from becoming this yeah. road hard um to, club band to being the beatles yeah. so uh will that happen i don't know but actually uh, would, uh, yeah. yeah i wasn't planning to talk about please please me but that actually brings up an interesting point please please me and let's say uh with the beatles let's say if they do a 63 compilation instead of sticking strictly album title wise or whatever Mm -hmm. but um 
if they could do something because i've always clamored for this they you know they of course they had the hollywood bowl album but mm-hmm. there's a zillion live versions out there granted a lot of them are the same track over and over but a zillion live versions out there that are a various audio quality that if somebody could come up with like the definitive live album of the Beatles performing in 1963 or something to go along with. So instead of having take two of I want to hold your hand or take three of yeah. I saw her standing there or whatever, you know, it's welcome to have that too, but to have additional material that, you know, wasn't ever considered for release because of bootleg or whatever. I don't know if that was, is a possibility or if there's no money to be made for them on it, you know, I think it's finding people, and I know that there's a number of recordings out there that the public at large have not heard yet from 63 all the way to 66. And I know that I have some friends who are working on a larger collection of that. Would they be willing to partner? Would Capital be willing to partner with them to give, you know, I, I certainly would love that because yes, you know, we love these albums, but it was the Beatles on stage in 1963 that conquered the world. Because so, uh, to me, if there's a hesitancy for anything, please, please me with the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, um, Beatles for Sale and Help. If there's a hesitancy because those aren't considered the classic albums uh, or they're the UK versions. And then what do you do with the American ones or whatever? You know, so you discard UK, you discard US and you're just covering years. And so you do a 63 set. This is what was happening with the Beatles in 63. And even going as, as far as having a video with it, with the best live performances or best interview performances or making like an expanded version of, say, uh, anthology where you know they had little bits from Morecambe and Wise, little bits from this show and that. Instead, mm-hmm. having the complete performances of things if they cut them short or whatever like that, and probably have been remastered since the 1990s or found in better condition. Uh, I don't know if anybody would ever listen to this and hear that and say, but that would be the direction I would take instead of just yeah. doing album album necessarily yeah because the 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 beatles in 1963 is the the growth and the power um that the music had is amazing there are some tv performances out there and you the end of 62 they're still doing some some other guy on a couple british tv shows by the end of the 63 they're in sweden you know just an amazing uh live recording they made there there's them on drop in there's you can you suddenly this is a band that is just getting larger and stronger by by every week you know despite all the things that are happening around them so yeah i would i would i would not be adverse to that yeah now the original question i was going to say before i doubled on that is back to the beach boys so and you'll have to fill in my my history here um so um Beach Boys had a couple traumatic events happen in 1973. Murray died, even though he wasn't really involved in it, still the father. Mm-hmm. And I believe, if I'm wrong, correct me, their contract with Reprise was up? Yeah. Okay. Now, I know that they were working on at least a Christmas album for 74, and then the Endless Summer compilation from Capitol came out, and it kind of mess things up is that what happened or what happened what happened for the beach boys after holland and before let's say 15 big ones what that area is a little bit gray for me and it's leading up to k 
can we get a box set from that era now? You know, what was unreleased and everything. So go ahead. That would be interesting because there's a couple of things, you know, that, yeah, they, they do, they're, do, you know, they're sort of in between record labels. They do Beach Boys Live. Ricky and Blondie leave the band. So they, they're really kind of at that point, they're kind of, you know, this is us. This is now we're, we're you know, we've got the long hair. We're going to try to keep continuing and creating new things. I've heard about the Christmas record. And then, I mean, it is amazing that End of the Summer changed the band's story and tra trajectory so much because it really was kind of like, well, we've got this in the vault. Let's throw it out there and see if there's anybody interested. This 50 thing, this revival's been happening. Maybe people would dig the early 60s. And it just blows up. Mm -hmm. And then you couple that with the Beach Boys then going on tour with Chicago, where suddenly they're filling stadiums. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it, it is the point where the Beach Boys are not so much looking forward they're creating new stuff but they're also looking backward yeah i mean 15 big ones definitely has this kind of new but old you know um not just the covers of a uh, uh, rock and roll music but it's it's almost like this that is the record that changed their creative process and their willingness to say hey we're the beach boys you know we're the beach boys of old but we're still the beach boys of now as opposed to we're the beach boys now yeah. And I know that there's a lot of stuff out there that was a very, um, it was a very busy, disjointed time. They were on the road a lot from mm -hmm. 74 to 75. So I know that there's a lot out there. That will be an interesting box to put together because at least with the 71 box set and the 72 box set, you do kind of have some cohesiveness in that you kind of have these bookends. Whereas like from Beach Boys Live to 15 big ones, it's all just kind of, yeah. you know okay brian's involved again we're trying to pull him in you know eventually being back on stage with this and it's it's a much more far-flung story so is that, uh, you know. um in your opinion is that what uh caused most of the fighting in the end of the decade you know the, what direction to go i think so okay. i think so okay. i mean the um it's uh, the beach boys as you know is way more complicated than brian good like that uh you have you know several writers and producers in the band and they all have a great ideas. album title brian good mike bad yeah people i always now people are like, well it's brian this was like no it's way more complicated than that yeah. trust me yeah. um it's you have a lot of people and and sometimes some stepped up and some didn't and by the end of the 70s, Brian was kind of ebbing again. He was involved, yeah. but he had other people around him. The other members of the band wanted to have more of a push. Obviously, Carl continued to be very involved throughout the decade and was kind of gathering more steam within the band to the point where eventually he went off and made two solo albums on his own in the early 80s. So I mean, the, uh, the Beach Boys is an ongoing back and forth. It always has been from the beginning. And you yeah. kind of have to remember that these are these are kids who were you know three cut three brothers a cousin and a school friend and then for a time david marks who was their their neighbor across the street mm -hmm. you know when you've all known each other that long you're gonna love each other and fight each other like you've known each other that all that long and mm -hmm. that has changed obviously depending on the people who are around them at the time mm -hmm. i always said this, the story of the beach boys isn't the five people it's the circles around the circles it's the people who are involved with brian or mike or jack riley or whoever was you know working with the other members of the band or the touring band you know the touring bands that they had in the 70s and he's definitely 
informed a lot of their sound as well. So um, I think it's also just, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing we're still discussing the Beach Boys now because uh -huh. at any moment throughout the 70s, even the 60s, it looked like it could have just broken apart any moment. So yeah. um, it, it, I think it was just that and they just, they just wore down, but you know, they're still, you know, there's most of the members are still out there doing something. So yeah. it's kind of amazing. Interesting thing though, in trying to figure out, because yeah, I think the, the reason why I like the 67 to 73, <clears throat> excuse me, era is mainly because it's kind of a progressive era, similar to the Beatles. They may not have had the chart success, but they had the creative success. And I think, I don't know if Holland is considered a creative high point, but it's certainly very vastly different than anything, yeah. you know, like pet sounds, even, you know, it's like, it's, it's very different, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it has a different feel. And I always equate it more to like a Led Zeppelin album, which is kind of funny because people think, Oh, Led Zeppelin, they're heavy men, not Led Zeppelin doing a whole lot of love, but Led Zeppelin doing the more yeah. lighthearted yeah. going it's, to California, you know, the California theme songs and things like that, you know, the acoustic stuff very similar to what was going on but how's the holy went whoop, and uh holland went kind of eh. yeah <laughs> yeah um, different people went different places let's yes. say that yeah um but it'd be interesting to see if they continued down that path i it seems like they tried to i mean if you just mm -hmm. uh condense beach boys to pre-dennis death um 15 big ones was obvious to cash in just like, oh, got to take care of Endless Summer. Let's do a new album that sounds like some of our old hits. Yeah. I was so ignorant when that album first came out. I thought it was a compilation. I didn't know it was brand new material. You know, I was and that, and that was that was part of the you know, there's some stuff on that record I like, but that was part of the problem. Yeah. It, it, it was it was almost in, in too much in service to try to be um, sit alongside um, Endless Summer. Yeah. And I don't know if that was a wise direction to go at that time. Chart-wise, I guess it was because it made top 10, but, you know. Mm -hmm. um, now, the next album is more interesting, which I used to cast off, Beach Boys Love You or Love You or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I used to just cast it off. Oh, they're, they got their smokers' voices and they're not singing very well. And, you know, they're all nonsense topics. I mean, if you really think about it, he's right about Brian's writing about Johnny Carson solar mm -hmm. system and but those are great tracks if you really think about them and I'm yeah. it almost seems like that was like the extension beyond Holland in a certain respect like Brian was kind of fighting back saying I like this kind of progressiveness I don't know if he intentionally did that at the time well and talk um, to the guys in the Beach Boys band they'll tell you how much they love love you and how much they love you know Brian really got into kind of this bass Moog synthesizer sound yeah. and it's, it makes those records very distinctive yeah. um the, the the dichotomy of the beach boys is that here's this band that is you know one of the biggest selling records uh, artists you know in american history but yeah. too often a lot of their records the more interesting records, the ones that didn't sell or didn't right. sell as much right. as fun 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 or this and that and when you've had that much success you want them all to be up there but sometimes you have to yeah. say it's just not going to get there but it, I'm going to be more in service to the songs. Yeah. And I think while they've wanted to do, they definitely are trying to do that, be in service in the songs. You definitely hear that on this upcoming box set. It just doesn't always mean it's going to sell as much as previous singles. And while you may say, take pride in that personally, you have a lot of people around you saying you need to get a hit single on the radio again. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then just to cap off the rest of the seventies and MIU, 
That was mm-hmm. kind of a mistake. I mean, there are some moments on it, but it's almost like outtakes of 15 big ones, which is not saying a positive thing. Well, um, you know, Brian was very back and forth through yeah. the uh, into the end of the 70s. You yeah. know, he was touring, he wasn't touring. He was involved, he wasn't involved. You know, and Bruce Johnson gets involved in the band again. And there was, um, that was, it definitely was not the, the, the cohesive group that they had in the early 70s and again that was a a mixture of things it's just where they were you know dennis was doing his solo thing but he couldn't really leave the band completely so there's there's that push and pull and yeah i mean much like the 70s uh it's easy in retrospect say oh it was just this but no it was it was way more and way more complicated and then the next one i think is their last truly great album period I mean, they've had moments. Uh, God play, uh, uh, God made the radio, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I even like the Beach Boys' 1985 album pretty well. But you know, there's a little bit of a what's the word? <laughs> kind of a superficial subtext to all those later releases. But Light Album seems like the last time where they said, "Let's try to make a really darn good album here." And yeah. And a lot of that was I, Carl's influence. Okay. Carl was heavily involved in that. I know Al was in, involved. I, I think there was a point where they just said, "Let's just let's just try to make an album." You know, like, yeah. I know we're the Beach Boys. I know we're supposed to be on on the charts again. But let's just make, you know. So and you know, it was certainly the first time I ever heard a brand new track by them, barring rock and roll music of you know that they wrote. You know, yeah. good yeah. timing. I actually heard good timing on the radio a lot. You know, uh, so I'm like. Oh, and here comes the night. Less so, but you know, because everybody's yeah. the disco backlash and stuff like that. But you and, know. and that that was Bruce Johnson's doing. I, you know, yeah. I've never had the heart to bring that up to Bruce, but um, I'll I'll put that one at his feet. So, yeah. but you know, he really believed in that. He said, "Oh, this is going to push you guys into the future. Yeah. You know, being all yeah. being all hip with the Utes. Um, <laughs> some sometimes, you know, it, it, it is that. Yeah, yes, we want to be back on the charts, and like we want yeah. the, you know everybody to dig us. But sometimes uh, the music takes you somewhere else, and some yeah. you know again the, the best songs on that record are the ones that maybe weren't intended to be big hit singles, but they're right. just good songs. Yeah, just pleasant stuff like Sumahama or yeah. Lady Linda or whatever you know. Just you know. Now I will say this about Here Comes the Night. <laughs> um, forty years on, or whatever we're at, forty plus years on. That's not a bad track. I mean, it's like, obviously, I think I prefer the Wild Honey original version. But I mean, to, if you're going to take something and make a discified version extended to 10 minutes, it's actually a, a kind of a clever idea. <laughs> I, I think what the fans reacted to was the idea of them doing it, as opposed yeah. to the song itself. Mm-hmm. It was just a, oh, oh, God, even the Beach Boys are doing a disco song. So, uh, yeah. you know, and by 1979, if they put that record out in 78, the response may have been different by 79 yeah. a yeah. lot of people were not and, and the group and you mentioned them earlier that did the exact same thing although they did with a brand new song was chicago chicago yes. 13 came out in 79 and um song street player at the time was you know and then but now you know it's been sampled in various records um uh my new favorite group uh, i advise you and everyone uh, watching or listening 
check out Leonid and Friends on YouTube if you haven't done so. Um, I just discovered them. They do co- uh, covers of like uh, Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears and oh, wow. uh, uh, The Odds of March vehicle and uh, Earth, Wind and Fire stuff. So they do an incredible version of their version of Got to Get You Into My Life. And it's just all fun stuff. Just look it up on YouTube. They do, the, you know, it shows them performing all these songs not live in front of an audience just live in the studio and they're um uh i'll say this as an aside and then i'll get back to what i was trying to say um their version of make me smile is actually better than chicago's original version because i always felt the original chicago version was kind of muddy in the mix so it's it's a bit am radio yeah yeah, and i don't know why that is or if that can be fixed but the Leonid and Ver- Friends version, since they sing, their singing voice is very similar too. It sounds like, wow, they cleaned it up. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyway, so out. they do a great version of 25 or 6 to 4. But anyway, they do an incredible version of Street Player, which is, and they do the full length 10 minute version or whatever. And, wow. you know, it's like, you know, these guys are really good. And they, and this is a funny story. So I go, I wonder if they ever play in the United States. It's been the pandemic, da, 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 you know, and you know, I'm in Oregon. Uh, this is when I looked it up. It was the end of October. And I look in uh, their tour dates. They had just played the night before in Portland, Oregon. I go, ah, I could have seen them. You know? ah. So they they will probably come back. It's just that, you yeah, know, it's like it's oh, yeah. you gotta rock timing. If I had known two days earlier, I would have made it up there. I would have gone. Ah. You know? But yeah, check them out oh. on YouTube. They're very good. Leonid and friends, okay. <laughs> and they're Russian and Ukrainian, and so it's, I guess it's kind of timely. It wasn't really meant to be, but they just love the American music, you know. So anyway, well, it's all the brass. I always fascinating for me people like from uh, like Europe and Japan like they just because this is otherworldly to them because it's a whole other country they just view it differently and they get deep into it I mentioned the hot sugar band which is from France and they nail the Billie Holiday jazz sound yeah I've heard the 30s 40s and 50s and it's just Mm -hmm. like they're from France but man (laughs) I mean including the vocals who just nails all the Billie Holiday parts it's Mm -hmm. you know if, if if it's there it's there okay or we've got a couple more things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we've gone over an hour, but um, I want to mention them before because you gave me little clues of what to talk about. So what about the left bank? Uh, you mentioned them earlier in the show. Uh, we did a whole show on them earlier this year, last year or something. And uh, what, any updates with them touring or anything? Or Record is still out. Um, you know, I would like to do more with the estates. I've been talking again to uh, Yvonne, uh, Michael Brown's wife and uh, their kids about something down the road. We did find a lot more Michael Brown recordings in the, in the process of doing this, uh, release and I would like to do more with it. it just uh, whether it comes out under the Michael Brown name or the Left Bank name, there are other things with the other states that need to get worked out. And that, you know, I definitely want to have that all in hand before we go forward in the future. But I think there's a lot there, and I think that we discussed in um, last time we talked that when I was doing more research on the 0102 recordings that Michael and Steve did. Uh, Steve Martin, Carl, Michael Brown did with Tom Finn, other members of the left bank. Um, I went in knowing that there was eight or nine songs that they had done where Steve's the vocal vocalist, Mike's the keyboardist. Well, last fall, I had an email from Yvonne saying, hey, we found some backup files because they'd use Pro Tools. 
uh, from some recordings they did in Florida. And you want to hear them? Well, yes. And so I got 53 folders on a Google Drive one night, and two folders had eight more songs that no one knew existed. So I've actually figured out now there are 17 songs that you say is, you know, technically Michael Steve left bank. Um, 16 of them have a Steve vocal and they're really good. And I hope people get to hear more of those as a standalone release down the road. How that will happen and, and when, I don't know. But um, part of the joy of that project, and I literally, you know, we discovered four times more material than we knew to exist when we started the project. And now it's, we know, you know, the family has it. I've been able to hear, I know where it is. And, you know, we, uh, we even found some recordings that the, um, that Michael did with um, his father in 66 that got released on a B side on completely, it was names and sounds unlimited. And basically they needed a B side for some other song that wasn't very good. And they threw a Michael Brown instrumental was basically a, a backing track. They never used for a left bank song. And I found it on eBay and presented to the band to their his family like we've never heard this oh. so um that's the ongoing joy for me in that project is that mm -hmm. knowing that uh, a that people more people will hear the left bank and b that there's more out there that hopefully they will hear someday so uh and i will mention too that there's anybody out there has anything tied to the left bank you think i should hear please email me on danielcoston.com find me at daniel Coston on facebook um there is more there's there's more out there and um i i ain't stopping searching <laughs> now is this stuff released the same way as the circle material self self-release as it were uh the left bank actually was released through omnivore recordings oh, okay. omnivorerecordings.com okay. omnivore right. please check out all their great releases mm -hmm. and uh my friend cheryl pavelski who i worked with on who co-owns omnivore and uh was my co-producer left bank record recently co-produced the wilco uh yankee hotel foxtrot box set Okay. which I have 10 pages of photos in, uh, oh. which I'm really proud of. Um, <laughs> 27 years into a photography career, I can say that a record I worked on went top five hey. on the board <laughs> and number one in box sets, number one in a lot of other things. And yeah. I, I got an email one day while shooting a luncheon saying, hey, your, number, your record's number four on billboard. And that's mm -hmm. bizarre, you know, but it was wonderfully bizarre. And, mm -hmm. um, and that is... I, people say, how do you stay, you know, get these sort of projects? You stay involved. You stay in touch. Yeah. You know, it helped that I've been working with Cheryl on the Left Bank record and who knew that I had worked with Wilco during 2002 and said, hey, what do you have? And I had done a full photo shoot with Wilco, some of which is featured in their best of that came out several years ago. And I figured they're going to use all that. And I gave them a bunch of live shots that I had not only from the Philadelphia show, but a separate Nashville show I shot that same year and they chose all the live stuff mm -hmm. so every live photo you see in that box set is all mine and that's all stuff that literally has been in this office for 20 years mm -hmm. and nobody had seen until now <laughs> um any chance of working heavier with wilco in the future like producing their records as well or just the photos? i mean not producing that jeff okay. is a good handle on okay. that I'll <laughs> say, and jeff I, I i haven't talked to jeff in a while i do see the other band members occasionally and i yeah. hope he's doing well i'm really proud of what he's been able to create over the last 20 years and, and more. Um, I would love to do more with them. There's always bands that I'm still in touch with. We talk about doing things. Um, another band I'll mention that I was got to work with again this year was the Avett Brothers, um, that they gave me permission to do an exhibit of my photos of them over the last 24 years. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that show will hit the road here in the Carolinas uh, next year. 
well, you know, and I did photograph them again in May at a private event. I just saw Seth again recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, will that lead to more stuff? I can't say. Um, would I would I like it to? Yes. Same yeah. with Wilco. Same with the Beach Boys. Same with yeah. a lot of other bands that we're discussing that I've been lucky to work with here and there. But um, you stay open. You st um, you stay in touch, and um, you know let let the let the let it all happen. Is what mm -hmm. I say. Any bands that you have may may have encountered or may not have encountered, just I'll leave it open. I mean, you can even say Beatles if you want to. But I mean, uh, that you would like to work with. I mean. Uh, I still feel like there's a couple bands that I have some unfinished business with. And one of my long running favorites is uh, the Jayhawks. Mm -hmm. I got to do some stuff with the Jayhawks several years ago and they've posted several pictures of mine through the years, but I always feel like there's one more shoot. I haven't gotten with them that really is like that shoot. Um, another one of my favorite bands I, I've only photographed once. I've never gotten to really work with in depth is teenage fan club mm -hmm. from Scotland. Uh, I think uh, one of my signed pictures of them is over my uh, shoulder here. And there's always people say, oh, you've done all these things like, yeah, but there's there's always more I would like to do. Yeah. There's always someone like Drive By Truckers or Andrew Bird that I worked with 20, 25 years ago. And I said this to Seth Ather recently. He's like, yeah, I did some nice work back then. I'm glad you guys like it. But I think I'm a better photographer now. And yeah. I think they're further along as artists and musicians and people. And, you know, if you if they called today and said, can you meet us somewhere tomorrow? Yeah, I'd do it. Mm -hmm. it's just because i i always feel like there's something better that i haven't gotten yet mm -hmm. and um i think that's actually not a bad way to live you, now, do you, you're always in search of the next good idea do you prefer working with all these different bands in the photography or in the producing or both if you had your dream <laughs> um I would start as a photographer and the, if they felt I was, they were comfortable enough with me to take me on as a producer, I would, you know, get to that. How, how I started producing the last couple of years was I was having to work from this computer and uh, okay, well, if I can't be there on site, we can organize this. We can organize this archival release. Mm -hmm. Left Bank was an archival release. And then along the way, the circle became a full new album I've been producing a couple acts here in Charlotte, one for Todd Johnson, the revolvers, which is coming up February, mm -hmm. a great duo from uh, this area called fall lift, fall mm -hmm. lift. And their first single just came out. And the second single comes out next week. And that's a record I did with Doug Williams, who he and I, he was the early Avid photos producer and he and I have been friends. He's my fellow sixties compatriot in arms. And we've been talking about working on a record together for 20 years. And I said, I think I've got something. But it was having the relationship with that band to say, okay, I can be the benevolent adult to help get the sound that you want. So um, I would say as a photographer, photographer and writer, and if things blossom into a, a more in-depth role, Okay. You know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to well, you know when, when the time is right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only reason I ask that is mainly because I've heard more of your production stuff in recent times with the Circle and Left Bank. So I thought, is that the direction you're going, or are you still uh, keeping the photography in there as well? You Definitely know, keeping so. the photography going. I, I, it's sort of like a lot of things in my life that, that I didn't really choose to be a producer. The producing chose me. <laughs> um, I you know had the chance to oversee a friend's record four years ago here in Charlotte, and I just thought I really enjoy this. It's a lot of work, but I really enjoy it. I love seeing these songs and this music come to fruition. And um, I mean, I suppose you could say, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm only this, I'm only that. But I've never really been one to draw lines. You know, I say I'm, I'm a photographer that's written eight books mm -hmm. because the work said you're doing this. And I said, OK, let's go. 
And um, so, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a point, especially with a circle record where I know we'll hopefully work towards another new record in a year or two, but I'm kind of really open to what comes next. So I, I think the photography is going to reemerge a little more as the world continues to reemerge, but I've been known to change my mind. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, we're at that time and you've been pulling plugs out the whole time for the last hour and a half, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, which is fine because you're working on a lot of projects. Um, I guess uh, just say how people can get in contact with you again the latest albums by the various artists we've discussed that you're involved with and uh, anything new coming up. Yes, um, definitely come to danielcoston.com. Um, this is my ongoing blog. You can email me through that site. Uh, you can email me through um, uh, my Facebook page. Uh, it's just Daniel Coston. Um, you can definitely find me through the Circles Facebook page and a lot of the projects I'm involved with. Uh, Instagram, Daniel Coston Photos, at Daniel Coston, C-O-S-T-O-N, like Boston with a C, Daniel Coston Photos. And I'm sort of on Twitter occasionally, but hit me up there too. And um, uh, for the projects I was just mentioning, definitely the circle.com, but um, you can also go to um, find the Etsy page and my Facebook page and my on danielcost.com, or you can email the circle through their Facebook page, get this new record. I hope you enjoy it. Um, the left bank record is available through omnivorerecordings.com and then look up the band's fall, fall lift, one word, fall lift. And then Todd Johnson and the Revolvers. Todd, that record is a series of EPs we're doing, which is the first EP, Straight Up Rock and Roll. The next two EPs are going to be a little different. Um, I'm really excited about those projects. And then I've got one autobiography on Maurice Williams that I did a while back that I really hope to get released somewhere soon. And then I had a, have an autobiography of um, my own crazy life as a photographer that I'm really going to try to finish soon and get out there um so um you know but the story's about ongoing I, I really could have finished that book two years ago but all these things we've been discussing for the last hour wouldn't have been in there so i'm kind of glad i'm i've left that book to, to finish hopefully soon so uh but yeah you know, <laughs> find me online so yeah all right sounds good well always 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 a pleasure having you on the show daniel and yeah, uh, you, very knowledgeable about stuff and always answer my questions even if you don't always know the answer <laughs> usually you do though um i, I and, try i try I always, uh, I always tell people like i don't know much but i'll tell you everything i know so. <laughs> and i'm happy that you turned me on to left bank in the circle more than i originally was aware of them i knew their hits but a mm -hmm. little more and now i go wow these are great uh bands to be reckon to reckon with i guess is <laughs> for lack of a better term and uh deserve well, more it, attention than they get you know thank you and, and part of my involvement in with those bands was i love the music i love the bands i got to know the bands and even before i i met the left bank or the circle i always felt like there was something incomplete about their stories there was something yeah. about well you know why didn't or what if they got to make that one more record you know what if right. columbia given them given the circle three more months to make that you know that album that they were working on when they broke up well as it turned out, I was the one that helped continue the story. So uh, I, and I think there's people like me out there for other bands. So if, if you love this music and those musicians are, are still out there, go out there, support them, whether they're new or they've been around 50, 55 years, you know, right. this is, this is an, it's like life. It's an ongoing conversation. Cool. 
All right. I want to thank you, Daniel Costa, again for being my special guest. We'll have you on some point in the future, hopefully soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if we know what we're talking about here. And uh, anyway, but I'll probably see you on Plastic EV show as well. And uh, but that wraps it up for another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Dan Costin, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 193 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.